Suck it! Suck it! Suck it! There are many ways to say suck it, and probably just as many fonts to write it on a t-shirt, but they've all sort of been subsumed into a singular notion of the mass hysteria that was Degeneration X. But there's a big distinction between subversive sensor affrontery and call and response, and that is the distinction between the two stanzas of the group. See, there are two versions of DX. Everybody knows this. The unit of Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, and for a while, Rick Rude, that made dick jokes on WWE programming from Fall 97 to WrestleMania 14 in 1998, and then the DX that came after that. The first DX was about Shawn Michaels, a support team for him as he sometimes literally limped through the last months of what might have been the end of his career. After WrestleMania 14, where Michaels lost the WWE Championship to Stone Cold Steve Austin, Michaels was forced into temporary retirement due to a back injury. Austin took over the role as star of the show, but the reins of DX were handed to Triple H. This is DX 2.0. In the grand tradition of pro wrestling, Triple H threw his old partner under the bus to reboot the group and refashion himself as the leader. A lot can happen in 24 hours. Let's start with Mike Tyson. You know, I must have asked a thousand times, is he locked in? Is he with us? Is he a part of us? Are you sure? Is it sewn up? What I heard was, don't worry, kid, I got it covered. Don't sweat it. You worry too much, it's sewn up. Let me make the decisions. Well, you dropped the ball. But don't worry, HBK, because Triple H picked it up and now the ball is in my court I'll take care of the worries I'll take care of the problems and I'll make the decisions whoa this is the genesis of D generation X Tonight, live in front of the world, I form the DX Army, an army to take care of business that should have been taken care of right from the start. What's he saying, JR? And when you start an army, when you set out to do what no one else can do, the first thing you do is you look to your blood. You look to your buddies, you look to your friends, you look to the click. When you've been an indentured servant for two years, 
You run up a lot of feelings. Talk to them, kid. Albany, New York, race over hell and make a lot of noise. First things first, I got a little something, something I got to get off my chest right now. Uh-oh. I heard Hulk Hogan come out on television saying I couldn't cut the mustard. Well, Hulk Hogan, you suck, pal. <laughs> so I don't think you have any room to talk about anybody cutting any kind of mustard. And Hulk, I got, I got some more advice for you. You better not stop short or Eric Bischoff will go so far up your ass, he'll know what you had for breakfast. Well, he's telling the truth so far. And now on to important matters at hand. I'm sitting at home and I get a call from one of my best friends of my entire life, Triple H. And he says, DX needs your help. Well, damn it, Triple H. Anytime you ever need anything from me, pal, you got it. And I got something else to say. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall would be standing right here with us. by World Championship Wrestling, and that's a fact, Eric Bischoff, so put that in your pipe and smoke it. Well, things are getting out of hand here, right? You agree with that too, JR? Where's your DX t-shirt? So the way I see it right now, this is our new beginning for D-Generation X. And we're here to rip ass on the World Wrestling Federation. And it starts tonight. Well, this kid is Paula P&V King. Oh, yeah. By the way, I got two words for you. Suck it. Yeah. Triple H and Shawn Michaels with their old buddy X-Pac, who had just been re-signed away from WCW, and later in the same show, they added the New Age Outlaws, a tag team made up of the Road Dog, formerly the Roadie, and Billy Gunn, two emergent performers who had a similar ethos and a reverence to DX. The first version of DX was lewd, but sometimes dark, penis-obsessed and egotistical in inextricable ways. But it was, as weird as this sounds, serious. The body humor belied Michael's and Triple H's in-ring seriousness, and that's important because were they not serious, they wouldn't have made such an impression. Maybe they wouldn't have been allowed to do what DX got away with if they weren't so good, but even if they were allowed to, it wouldn't have had as much meaning. It would have been a comedy act instead of the insidious um, unit <laughs> that it was. But this new crew, the DX Army, was marked by a frankly sillier ethos, a more juvenile sort of angst. 
Spotify and The Ringer. This is The Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. I'm David Shoemaker. DX 1.0 were still wearing dress shirts to the ring much of the time when they weren't ironically stripping out of their clothes, but DX 2.0 wore jeans and t-shirts like ostentatiously and carried themselves like they would straight up put their boots on your coffee table whether you like it or not. But if it was sillier, it was also more iconic. See, DX 1.0 challenged pro wrestling's mores. They undermined conventional ideas about what you could say, and more importantly, what you could admit, how upfront a wrestler could be about what pro wrestling really was. DX 2.0 was, well, sports entertainment. They were less about the mission statement and more about the trappings of it. DX had made wrestling relevant. Now, DX 2.0 made it fun. But most centrally, the group had started out as trailblazers, as upstarts, and now the entire company had adopted their ethos. Everybody was making dick jokes. Once the company co-opted the movement, and once self-awareness and body humor were subsumed into the whole presentation, well, DX had to evolve. Or devolve, if you will. They are at the heart of the movement that is WWF Attitude. They personify it. They live it 24-7. It wasn't just in character. At that point, they were living it 24-7 because they were just wildly over, and maybe more shockingly, wildly famous. Here's Triple H. It was everywhere. Like, you, we couldn't walk through airports without people just screaming, suck it, and, you know, crotch chopping, and just, it was everywhere we'd go. When X-Pac got into the group, he didn't know what to expect. He'd been a part of the NWO and WCW. But DX's ascent coincided with the business reaching new heights. Whether or not this was a result of DX, or whether DX was just a product of the era, is, as Triple H at the time would have probably said, a choking the chicken and egg question for the ages. But what was sure was that the reactions they were getting were bonkers. Yeah, it was so big. Holy crap, man. We couldn't do anything wrong. I remember one time going out, like, cutting a promo, and, like, the mic cut, like I, I lost my voice halfway through and the people still popped, you know? And I remember one time I said something really stupid and the people still popped. And it was just like, man, can we like, they can't, we can't get booed or. What was the life outside of the arenas like? Were you getting recognized everywhere? And It was incredible. Really? Yeah, everywhere, man. Like the perks that come along with it, you know, um, the way people treat, yeah, it was just, it was an amazing time. Last episode, Triple H talked about not being able to go to the mall anymore because crowds would just appear and follow him around. Road Dog says that when he and Billy Gunn joined, nobody let him know how much their lives were about to change. No, no, they didn't give me any warning at all. And, and it's exactly like he said, man, you literally one day. You're, you're going to your local mall and you're doing what you're doing. And my, me and my family used to go to the mall all the time and eat in the food court and shop, you know. And the, then one day, all of a sudden, you you would turn around in a, in a store and there's people all at the window. And, it's and you know, and I had the braids and so it was hard to kayfabe a little bit. Yeah, it got real difficult uh, just to live life there for a minute. Now, look. Be careful what you wish for, because that's what we all wish for, right? Is that that's what the as from a wrestler standpoint, anyway? I want to be so famous, I want to be the king of the world, you know. But then you get it, and you go like, "Wow, this is not all it's cracked up to be either." 
Last week, I pointed out that the lifespan of DX 1.0 was surprisingly brief. Also surprisingly sparse were the amount of suckets in that era. There were plenty of crotch chops. By WrestleMania 14, the DX Titantron intro package was just a supercut of crotch chopping, a crass collage that evoked the antic irreverence of the act. I'll be honest here. Even as a fan, that iconic DX theme song felt a little too hip for HBK. But it would be a blueprint for where DX was headed. Are you ready? That music debuted on November 10th, 1997, the night after the Montreal screw job. Don't get too excited. That one's getting its own episode. It might feel a little tired now, but it was a breathtaking shift at the time to go from Sexy Boy, an iconic theme song, but not exactly a banger, to this Rage Against the Machine style anthem was huge. Just like all the other shifts that were beginning to take place, it was an acknowledgement by the company that things were changing. When the Attitude Era started is a matter of some debate, but WWE themselves formally announced its arrival a month after that theme song debuted on December 15th, 1997, when Vince McMahon took to the airwaves to explain it to the world. The WWF extends far beyond the strict confines of sports presentation into the wide open environment of broad-based entertainment. We borrow from such program niches like soap operas, like the days of our lives, or Music videos such as those on MTV, daytime talk shows like Jerry Springer and others, cartoons like The King of the Hill on Fox, sitcoms like Seinfeld, and other widely accepted forms of television entertainment. Is as the times have changed, so have we. I'm happy to say that this new vibrant creative direction has resulted in a huge increase in television viewership, for which we thank USA Network and TSN for allowing us to have the creative freedom, but most especially, we would like to thank you for watching. Raw and the Warzone are definitely the cure for the common show. Which brings us back to DX 2.0. Soon after that official Attitude Era kickoff, Shawn Michaels, one of the era's founders, was gone, and it was left to Triple H to take up his slack. This is when the suckets really started. Here's X Pac. No, no. Suck it was something that uh, when I came back the night after WrestleMania, I still didn't quite get it that that was the 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 catchphrase. Like, like I didn't realize it's kind of like the four life and you know too sweet and all that. So, yeah, but I didn't know. I still wasn't up to speed. Like, okay, so for instance, at the end when I when I come out and Hunter pull, brings me out and introduce reintroduce me the people and I say what I have to say. Hunter had to remind me at the end to say the two word suck it thing. That's what, that's what I'm getting at. Like, I just wasn't up to speed with it yet, you know? Despite uncertain beginnings, 
X-Pac became synonymous with the motto and with the crotch chop more specifically. But when you think of DX, you think of Waltman, tongue wagging, legs set wide, chopping his crotch with an almost violent rapid fire force. He also had this special move called the Bronco Buster where he would jump up and down, crotch first on a fallen opponent. A lot of people are leery about calling wrestling art, but this was art. X-Pac filled an important role of click continuity and also mattered as an early defection from WCW back to WWE after so many had gone the other direction. But to really lean into the newness, the coolness of what the new DX would be, they recruited the Outlaws, an unlikely duo who were getting huge crowd reactions to their own catchphrases and a comedic disregard for their opponents. Me and Billy were young and hungry and just doing the best we could. And Russo and, and I'm sure Vince McMahon also uh, was really giving us the shove on the television show. They put us together and they just started running us through tag teams. And, and we were just making fun of all the tag teams. And like, you know, what, what's not to like about that? You just get to run roughshod over everybody. But it was it was to get us to a spot quick where... I believe now, looking in retrospect, that you see Sean had to get back surgery. Hunter and him had just started this cool thing with China and, and even uh, Rick Rude for a moment. You know what I mean? They had just started this thing. How do we keep it going? How do we uh, fill the void when Sean leaves? And it was like, okay, well, these kids are, are hot and up and coming, and maybe we can stick them with them and see what happens, you know? And then, of course, bring, bring a kid in, and the rest is history. Triple H brought the legacy and the dick jokes. X-Pac brought the rebelliousness and the New Age Outlaws brought the irreverence. What was once a surly, sardonic, and deeply self-righteous group became an ensemble of meathead class clowns. And I mean that as a compliment. Even as they were reacting to the corporatization of attitude, this new unit was in some ways the corporate version of DX. Gone were the sly winks to the smart fans and the feelings of implicit excitement and weirdly anxiety that came with each of their promos. What remained was a streamlined concoction of potty humor and cut-uppery. If there was trepidation before on the part of management and the network, well, now Degeneration X's sophomore hijinks were given free reign. And yet, it wasn't any less shocking. Here's X-Pac. To me, it felt like it was still an outlaw thing that was just given free reign. It's just like, you guys know what you're doing. Just whatever. Well, if there's a problem, we'll fix it, you know, as it goes. And here is Road Dog's recollection. It is. It's like young, hungry, shoot degenerates. You know what I mean? Like, look, you got me an X-Pac on the team. Your, your stock's going down. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but look, we, I don't know. We did it, man. We, we had chemistry together. And we were friggin' we had a great time. And that was what I think was what we did. Look, you watch four friends on your TV screen that get along and make each other laugh. And you will laugh along with them, you know? And that's kind of what we were inviting everybody to do. That invitation, that was what really set the new DX apart. Whereas the old suckets were pointed and crass, the new ones were celebratory. It was a pronouncement of rebellion a not-so-secret handshake. Over in WCW, the NWO with its two sweet were the coolest guys in the room. The alpha male guys you would look at from across the bar and say, man, I wish I could be like them. 
And then you'd look to your right and there would be DX standing by the fire exit with a joint and a flask they brought from home, grabbing their crotches and making fun of everybody. Some wrestlers were aspirational, but DX 2.0, DX was a crew you felt like you could join and you wanted to. It was very Pavlovian, right? Like just, they just knew it was just an automatic response. Have you heard the expression road warrior pop? Yeah, everyone has, right? But it was just insane, man. It was just like, uh, it was Road Warrior Pop. Please, with what's unfolding tonight. Are you ready? I said, Are you ready? Then, for the thousands in attendance, for the millions watching at home. <laughs> Let's get ready to That Triple H routine where he made fun of famous ring announcer Michael Buffer was him heckling from the back of the bar taking the piss out of the self-seriousness of the competition. See, WCW had co-opted Buffer as boxing's top ring announcer to bring legitimacy to their product. What's more, Buffer had famously trademarked his shtick and pursued imposters with legal action. And so, of course, the DX response to all of that was, well, suck it. But at some point in here, suck it becomes untethered from its original meaning. It's still used sometimes as a pejorative, sure, but mostly it's just a catchphrase. It's a t-shirt. When Triple H started this new shtick, for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching at home, he closed with, let's get ready to suck it. Let's get ready. This isn't a fuck you anymore, it's a fuck yeah. Listen to these words, let's get ready to suck it. We are all sucking now. Everyone watching this show, we're eagerly sucking at the trough of DX. So why does this suck it meaning shift matter so much? We've got four words for you. That's after the break. A quick programming note, there are lots of specific DX moments that matter deeply to the Attitude Era. And some of those will have their own episodes. The Montreal Screwjob, DX Fires the First Shot, Oh You Didn't Know. You'll hear more about those in coming weeks. But this episode, this story is about the lasting effects of Degeneration X and why they matter. Why, yes, suck it matters. I mean, it's indisputable that suck it mattered. Its influence is widespread. If you don't watch wrestling, and if you don't, thanks for listening, but if you don't watch, perhaps you're familiar with one of the many, many pop culture moments in which the crotch chop was used. Uh, it was in Slumdog Millionaire. It was in Pitch Perfect. It was in Knocked Up. It was in Family Guy. It was in uh, Eastbound and Down. Kenny Powers, you remember he did it in the uh, fantasy sequence. Where else? I mean, uh, John Jones, the UFC fighter. Uh, he crotch chopped after beating Daniel Cormier. Also, uh, 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 Pete Weber, the bowler, used to uh, do, do the crotch chop. He was apparently a big fan of wrestling. Fidel Edwards, the world famous Fidel Edwards, the West Indian fast bowler, has occasionally used the crotch chop. Uh, on the cricket field, the cricket pitch, the cricket, where do you play cricket? It doesn't matter. Uh, 
uh, uh, what else am I missing here? Um, oh, Waluigi in Super Mario Strikers, he does the crotch chop. Uh, the crotch chop is everywhere. Just looking at the crotch chop section of the DX Wikipedia page, and yes, obviously I've been looking at it, all of these examples came from there. It's impossible to say anything, but that the crotch chop matters. Within WWE though, DX's legacy is perhaps more central to the modern WWE identity than anything else. There are series, documentaries, and waves at the camera, podcasts. The history of the Monday Night Wars is often painted as a battle waged and won almost literally by Degeneration X. Michaels and Triple H reunited in 2006 as grizzled veterans. Michaels had returned from a four-year retirement several years earlier, while Triple H had reigned over WWE as a sort of final boss, a dick-joke-free and irony-free big baddie. Triple H and Michaels had feuded against each other in 2004 in a series of intense grudge matches. They actually teased a DX reunion at the beginning in 2002, but then Triple H turned on Michaels. It was a brilliant use of the ever-present temptation of revisiting the past to break our collective heart. <laughs> in the end, though, that clarion call of remembrance was a force stronger than hatred. And they got back to the green and black in 2006 in feuds with the Spirit Squad, a group of wrestling male cheerleaders, and inevitably Vince and Shane McMahon. When you look at Triple H and Shawn Michaels, two middle-aged men chopping their crotches in the ring, now with neon green glow sticks and cartoon character covered merch, it felt a little silly, especially when you try to square the rebellion inherent in DX with the institutions that Michael and Triple H were at this point in time. They were both living legends. So in some ways, it made sense to revisit their shared heyday, sure. But in another sense, it was just two old men coming back to college and trying to do keg stands. And of course, if you're not down with that, we all got two words for ya. When DX reunited, there was one thing missing, or two things, of course. Michaels refused to say the words, suck it. It was reported at the time to be a decision based on his born-again Christianity. You know, one of the lingering questions about DX, one of the things that people always talk about, is their influence, both in wrestling and in the world. Michaels' refusal to say suck it was a symbol not just of his personal growth, but of the broader movement by WWE to return to family-friendly programming. DX could still say suck it when they got back together, but they usually left it to the audience to say it for them. And anyway, now it wasn't offensive. It was nostalgia. Here's Michaels on his temporary refusal to say those two words. When I came back, there were just some things. It, it got to be where you are. You're now a dad. You start thinking. It's funny because this job is sports entertainment, but when People want to apply reality to it and say that it's real. They do that where they want to. I just wasn't sure if maybe I was doing something that might be wrong or negative. But then over time, and I think more maturity, you go, I'm acting. I'm playing a role. I'm married now. There are some things, I don't know, I, I have a, and a daughter, you have a different outlook on your portrayal of women. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything that might compromise that. So I did my best. I don't know how well I did, but I, I tried to at least be sensitive to that and still make it entertaining. The legacy of Degeneration X is 
enormous, even if you're not an adherent of the conventional WWE narrative of their, you know, centrality to winning the Monday Night Wars. I think that's true, but actually not for the same reason that WWE often tells us. DX didn't win by being lewd and breaking all the rules. DX succeeded by being put into all those documentaries. They won by going mainstream and by proving it was possible, by proving they were possible. They're proof of concept. But more importantly, they won because the sky didn't fall. A generation of kids chopped their crotches and said suck it to their teachers, and the mechanisms of society are still mostly intact. I would have never thought when I was 19 years old wanting to get into this stuff that I'd walk up to strangers and have them tell me that, oh my goodness, at graduation, I did this and I got in so much trouble. And I think to myself, oh my God, yeah, on one hand, that's fantastic. And I go like, gee, sorry about that. But it was, a, it was a wonderful moment for them. And everybody now sees the humor in it. So it is, I don't know, I, to, me, it, to me, it's fantastic. And no, we had no idea um, it would become something, you know, that big. The legacy and success of DX shows in more than just the legacy of the crotch chops. Triple H and Shawn Michaels both now have high-ranking positions in WWE. Triple H is the Executive Vice President Global Talent Strategy and Development, and Shawn is the Vice President of Talent Development. Do you guys talk about how, you know, the two dudes who were, like, crotch-chopping and saying suck it are now in, like, positions of power and, and Hall of Famers and yeah. just, like, as institutional as that you could be? Yes. I mean, it, we, we do chuckle with one another about that. Me more so than Hunter, because he was always a bit more stable anyway, and everyone knew that. Obviously, then with his marriage to Stephanie, and look, and he's just, he's a fantastic executive. Yes, he's my friend, and I know everybody knows I'm biased because I love him to death, but he's really damn good, you know, especially from the corporate standpoint. Um, but yeah, then there are times I think to myself, and now I'm I don't know. I'm not a senior executive, but I'm certainly, you know, my goodness, I have a title and things of that nature. And, and I do. I, I don't know. Quietly smile to myself because, again, I, I can absolutely do all of that corporate stuff. Here's Triple H. In some manner, like I, I think there's a lot of times like I, I can't tell you how many times and, and more so, I think, in regards to Sean, like how many talent will look up to him and they've heard all those stories right? About all the things that he did. And I can't tell you how many times over the years, developmental, I've said to guys, Hey, like, don't, don't be thinking you're doing the Shawn Michaels squeaky wheel thing here. Cause it doesn't work today. There's one question that lingers though. One question that people still ask, despite DX's obvious victory against the Eras Puritans. And that question is, but what about the children? Well, for what it's worth, this child is doing okay. All the wrestling fans I meet who grew up in the Attitude Era and crotch-chopped their way through adolescence, they seem to be pretty well-adjusted. Obviously, Sean and Hunter and the guys are doing well for themselves. But looking back, it's still a little uncomfortable at times. We gotta be honest about it. As much as DX is a part of WWE history, it's not like WWE plays all of the bits on national television. So yeah, the kids. If the shtick doesn't always work today, if it doesn't always land, and it doesn't, how has the bodiness of the act translated over the years for a group of guys who loudly said, we're not your kids' role models? What's it like to have kids now? 
Well, like clearly there's some things I think about as, as a grown man, I can't believe I did that. You know, I don't know. There's always going to be something that's controversial and there's always going to be stuff that people say entertainment wise, or, um, I think for the most part, people saw it for what it was, you know, do, do I look at it today and say, um, well, geez, I wouldn't want my kid replicating that or something. Um, yeah, well then be a parent and tell your kid how to act and, you know, uh, TV shouldn't dictate or characters on TV shouldn't be dictating what your, what your kids do in life, right? Like there's, there's lessons to be learned on all sides of that. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that there was anything ultra harmful about it. And I think that a lot of times, even, you know, not the, the, obviously the, you got the gist of it. And there was a lot of it that was right in your face, but there was a lot of it that was innuendo. And if you're a kid, you didn't get anyway. You know, you watch it back 10 years later and you're like, oh my God, how did I not know what they were talking about when I was a kid? You know, I tell a story a lot about, um, at the time I, I my children, they went to a, a Christian school and down in Florida and I, I would drop them off at schools. Sometimes whenever I was home, I'd like to do that. You know, it made me feel like a normal dad. Uh, but, oh, my God, man, I'd drop them off, and the looks I would get from the teachers and the other parents, dude, I, it was like I was Satan. It was like I was Satan dropping my kids off at Christian school. I get it. <laughs> but my kids were great, man. My kids didn't do bad. You know, like, they never told people to suck it. Like, they kind of understood that. That's not really what you really do. <laughs> so when you, so when's the last time you think you used the word suck it to somebody? Do you use it, would you use it jokingly now? No. No, <laughs> not, not, not really. You know, I mean, the, the, yeah, that was it. That once that became a TV thing, it was a TV thing, you know? Um, when was the last time that you told somebody to suck it or that you said suck it in a real way? Well, I don't know. Probably yesterday we had TV. <laughs> we, had a, we had a live show for two hours. So all, all sorts of stuff come out of my mouth. Uh, I'm, I'm like the old man yelling at the clouds when we do live TV. I'm yelling at the TV screen. So. And just for the record, when was the last time you told somebody to suck it? Wow. Actually, fairly recently, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I don't know, man. In 2021, it's kind of tricky, you know, to tell people to suck it these days. Only in America. Is this the greatest question and answer session ever? You know what I mean? For real. Like, it's... Wait. I do not remember that, but I remember a bunch of times after that doing it. You know what I mean? And, and so it's just funny. And I think about it now and I go like, we would tell the people like, and if you're not down, we got two words for you, suck it. And they're like, yeah. And it's just like, what are, what's going on here? Um, but it was, it was the mob mentality, right? It's cool. It was fun too. I think the Vince and Steve took it to another level, right? I mean, that's where you actually physically get to do it. Um, but for all of us, yeah, DX, I think, captured that, you know, that thought that goes through everybody's mind with their boss, with their neighbor, with some anyone they don't like, which is like, man, I just, it is wishing you could tell someone the truth that's on your mind at the time. Um, and that's what Suck It was, and, and that's what DX was. And I think, again, Steve and Vince was just even a, a bigger, better version of that, which is like, nah, now I'm just going to beat him up. <laughs> you know, again, I'm going to take it to the... Ours, at least, didn't get you thrown in jail for assault. Steve's would. No. <laughs> yeah. 
I wrote and reported this podcast. The show is executive produced by superstar Bill Simmons, Sean the Strangler Finnessy, and Jumpin' Juliet Littman. Our producers are B. Brian H. Walters, Big Papa Pump Ben Cruz, and Vivacious Vikram Patel. Sound design and final mixing by Sweet Scott Somerville. The music you hear in this episode is from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Copy editing by Craig the Animal Gains and fact checking by Dangerous Daniel Comer. Art direction and illustration by me. I'm David Shoemaker, aka The Mask Man. Thanks for listening.